0: Democratic nations across the globe have set up various system, processes, and rules when it comes time to cast that oh-so-precious vote. In most nations, the voting age is 18, and where registering to vote is not compulsory, the number of registered voters hovers around 60-90% and of the voting age population. And then, election day comes, and there is major slippage. The US is the largest democracy with the lowest voter turnout. Yes, the 2016 presidential election did show a marked uptick in voter participation, it still pales in comparison to other western democracies. Why is this? The barrier to casting a vote range from apathy to legality to geography to demography to simple scheduling. For some reason, Americans are committed to casting a vote on weekdays. Tuesday. Yet, very few employers actually provide time off to cast a vote. Other nations have their elections on weekends, which is a little more convenient. And of course, we have mail-in ballots. But those have their own set of distinct challenges. Okay, okay. Let's say you hurdle all the barriers and are finally able to cast that vote. How do we know it was actually counted? How do you know that it wasn't tampered with? Now, as an American, we have a long, illustrious history of tampering in the elections of other countries, and after perhaps receiving a taste of our own medicine in 2016, it is becoming more and more apparent that we need a better voting system, more secure infrastructure, more transparent process. Now, Estonia is a shining example of a 21st century voting infrastructure, and many smaller nations are making big strides to improve the validity, the transparency, and the security of their elections. And this is just one arena where social innovators are working hard to improve how government functions. So in today's episode, I'm going to be talking to Jeffrey Stern of Votum. Votum's a mobile voting platform designed to securely cast votes in elections across the globe. Now I'm going to be talking with Jeffrey from Votum and I just want to highlight Votum is one of many social innovators helping shift our democratic institutions into the digital age by improving the accessibility and the security of our sacred right to vote. Jeff, thanks so much for joining me today on the podcast.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me on Daniel. I'm very excited to be here and appreciate the opportunity to share more about what we're
0: doing at Vodum. Excellent, excellent. So before we jump into the meat of things, why don't you uh, take a moment and tell us a bit about who you are and what you and the Vodum team are up to.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So my name is Jeffrey Stern. I'm a New Yorker masquerading uh, as a Clevelander and over the past few years have been uh, working at Vodum. Um, we are a mobile voting company working to modernize our electoral infrastructure and make voting more secure and accessible for everyone. You know, Simply put, we believe that every eligible citizen should be uh, able to actively participate in democracy by easily and safely voting when, how, and where they would like to. I um, mean, we find that you know, democratic institutions generally subscribe to this, but have done little to make it a reality and, and implement it in practice. Um, you know, personally, I came on to on as our first employee, and I've held a variety of roles ranging from co-authoring our protocol to recruiting and market strategy and software development, uh, fundraising, and uh, today, PR through our <laughs> upcoming conversation. Um, technically, I'm our operations manager at the moment, though.
0: And, and how many are the current team at Vodum?
1: We are uh, just under 20 at the moment.
0: Oh, wow. So you've got a, a good-sized staff, I'd say.
1: Yeah, it's uh, quite exciting. We've just recently brought on some more people and are, are actually currently looking to bring on some more, but um, yeah, the team has grown uh, pretty substantially over the past uh, years year or so.
0: Excellent. Excellent. So to dr- drill down a little bit more into what you were saying, um, how exactly is Votum improving voting for voters, elected officials, voting enforcement agencies, just all the different stakeholders in the voting process.
1: Yeah. Um, that's a, that's a great place to start, I think, cause it, it gets at the heart of, you know, most of what we're doing and our, our motivations and our objectives, um, you know, so if you just take a look back on uh, the last year and some change, um, unfortunately, but this past year has borne witness to some of the worst democratic crises in the 21st century. Um, you know, In Afghanistan, you have at least 57 people who were killed as they stood in line to register to vote. Uh, in Venezuela, uh, you have a president who claimed a victory in uh, really what was a sham election, announcing election results that were drastically different from... Uh, certified actual tallies. Uh, in Kenya, you had improper reporting in the country's presidential election, um, such that you know, the Supreme Court was forced to completely annul the results and call for an entirely new contest. Um, and you consider the fact that voter trust is really fundamental to a sound democratic process, and without it, the election results bear little to no value to those participating. Um, and I would argue that in our current society, there actually exists a crisis of trust, uh, which represents a tremendous civic problem. Um, and, and just to throw some numbers at that, you know, trust in government institutions and, and democratic practices is actually waning. And today is at historic lows. Um, in the 2016 election here in the States, uh, only 29 percent of Americans were confident that there, uh vote was counted as they intended it to be. Um, And only two thirds of Americans were confident um, that all the votes were counted as intended. So, you know, if you take stock of what the current election space looks like, you find millions of voters who don't really trust the process, uh, millions more who don't vote because they physically can't make it to the polls. And and we'll touch a bit more on that, I I imagine. Um, And also an election infrastructure that for the most part has been architected and built many years before the first iPhone even came out. Uh, And so we're focused on voting because we see a real opportunity to bolster trust by creating voting infrastructure that is accessible uh, and independently and easily verifiable by both, um, you know, election management bodies and individually by each voter um, and the other agencies that that you talked about. Uh, And, you know, specifically, if you think of the the ways that we're actually improving the process, we are, are really trying to restore trust in the electoral process, we're trying to make it easy to vote and impossible to cheat, and um, we're trying to increase transparency um, throughout all of it. Um, and those you know, ideas, I think, kind of break down into four components related to verifiability, accessibility, security, and transparency. And I think those are really our, our core competencies and, and the areas where we're uh, improving. Um, you know, voting for all those parties that you mentioned.
0: So have you and the Votum team implemented your product in an actual election yet?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
0: and so, so what does that I, look like from the end user perspective? I'm a voter in said country. What's the different experience that I am on the Votum system?
1: Yeah, so it first off, it might be helpful just to clarify a bit, you know, the, the legality of, of what I'm about to talk about, because I say online voting, <laughs> but I do say that in air quotes, so you can't see my fingers going up and down. Um, but, you know, basically what online voting refers to in the context of elections, at least here in the U.S., is limited in scope to um, this body of people uh, classified as UOCAVA voters, which is an acronym that essentially just means anyone who's, Uh, a member serving in the military, or other expatriate citizens. So we're talking about people living abroad, and in certain situations, we're talking about people with accessibility considerations. Um, And the reason that uh, online voting, which specifically refers to the online delivery, return, and marking of ballots for those voters, is an option was because, um, unfortunately, if you look at turnout rates, um, for this demographic, you actually find that they are of the most disenfranchised of any in the country. Um, so turnout rates were about four percent, and that 's relative to a national average of you know mid 50s um, So you have this really sad irony where the people who are the very people putting themselves on the line for the democratic process are the ones kind of most disenfranchised from it and so that was recognized at a, at, a, at a governmental level and uh, legislation was put in place to allow for um, this online delivery and return of ballots specifically for this demographic because the postal service um, and other means of participation had proven so historically disenfranchising mm-hmm. um, so when I refer to online voting in the states that's mostly what I'm referring to um, but yeah that is something we have supported uh, for um, governments uh, in addition to a slew of other services related to you know online voter registration or actual administrative setup of elections themselves.
0: And so once one of these, uh, our service members overseas cast a vote on the votum system, can they track, how do they track that their vote was actually counted that the uh, verifiability transparency that you're speaking to earlier?
1: Yeah. So to the verifiability point, um, you know, the mark of a successful election is one where you may not be happy with the results but you are provided sufficient evidence or proof that the results are accurate. Right. Uh, Right. So it's not it's not really enough for the election to produce the correct outcome. The electorate must also be convinced that the outcome reflects the will of the people. Right. So if you've convinced the loser that they have lost, you've probably administered a uh, election of high integrity. Um, And most of the convincing derives from this presence of evidence that verifies the accuracy and integrity of of the process. Uh, there's a there's an academic notion of end to veri- uh, end end to end voter verifiability um, that essentially guarantees three things, uh, one of which is that a vote was cast as intended, meaning that a voter can independently verify that their selections are recorded correctly. Right. So, I mean, the obvious example there is in a paper analogy, If if you are marking a paper ballot you see that your vote has been selected as you intended it for the most part. Mm-hmm. I and mean, you run into issues with user experience and butterfly ballots and things that have proven historically problematic. But that's
0: Chads, one piece of it. Yeah.
1: Um, this, the second is that a vote can be collected as you actually cast it. Um, so that means that voters can independently verify that the representation of their vote is correctly collected for the tally. Um, so you have both of those things, which kind of compound on each other. And then lastly, you have that the vote can be uh, tallied as it was actually collected, so meaning that anyone can verify that every vote is correctly included in the tabulation of results. So our system you know, adheres to this academic notion of end-to-end verifiability. Um, it does so uh, in, a, in kind of a novel way. Um, we've coupled blockchain and end-to-end verifiability um, in such a way that we've created this kind of Irrefutable digital chain of custody that provides the you know, mathematical proof that the integrity of the process was preserved and that the counts are correct, and that uh, those participating can actually verify those uh, transactions as they transpire. And so, relative to a traditional voting process, where you know historically a, a military person serving on the ship off the coast of you know a country in the Middle East would have to uh, you know send in a ballot may not uh, ever get back to the states in time, may not even make it back to the states. Uh, no way for that person to know if it was counted correctly, if it was handled correctly. Um, so you no longer have to blindly trust in a black box process where votes are counted and handled out of sight and hope for the accuracy of it. Um, we've kind of built in this uh, instant verifiability so that um, you know people um, who are inclined to can actually check um, that the system is working as it should,
0: and in these elections where you've implemented uh, the voting protocol, have you seen an uptick in voter turnout?
1: Um, yeah, and we're working more on um, kind of building out a more empirical, you know, body of work to to support you know the narrative that, um, which which is obviously the the one that comes to mind mostly for people, um, which is that you know, the easier you make it to vote, the, the more people will actually turn out. Um, that is something we've seen with the work we've done in Montana. Uh, most of the private elections that we've done, uh, people who are transitioning from paper to uh, digital processes are you know, witnessing like as high as like 4x turnouts. But um, the, the important part, the, the piece of that that's really cool is that um, in the aftermath of the 2014 election. And and this is related, I think, to this concept of accessibility. Um, The U.S. Census Bureau surveyed uh, just under 50 million Americans on why they did not vote. Um, Hmm. And of those who responded to that question, 53 percent of those respondents stated their inability to make it to the polls. Um, So that means we're talking about tens of millions of people here, uh, which is a pretty significant portion of the eligible population who are not voting because they cannot vote. and so we have this kind of hyper-focus at on accessibility, which uh, is a point I feel is actually lost right now in the national rhetoric, which, which is kind of hyper-focus on security, um, but without a lot of um, consideration given to the fact that there are a lot of people who are just currently physically unable to vote. And this alternate medium allows for um, secure and convenient participation, and, and that's easily been the most exciting thing about the work that we've done with, you know, voters in Montana, for for example, the the feedback that we've gotten is is pretty extraordinary, um, and, and, positive, um, related to, you know, how, how difficult it was before and, and how, uh, appreciative they are of, uh, how easy it is to, to do it now.
0: So for those voters in Montana, would they download an app and then cast their vote via that app?
1: Montana. Um, And again, this is particularly prescribed by the the Uacaba voting laws. Um, Each state kind of mandates their own uh, version of it because all elections in the U.S. are controlled at a state level rather than at the federal level. Mm -hmm. Um, Certain states allow for different types of returns. So some, for example, might just allow email, which, um, you know, is not Great um, for a, a few reasons. Some just allow uh, for web portals. Some are fax. Some are still just postal. Some are different combinations. Um, so in Montana, you would be um, you would essentially follow the same exact process you would uh, for a postal absentee ballot. So you still have to file a federal form requesting your um, your online ballot, um, which you are are sent within um, you know, a, a set time period prior to the election. Um, I believe it's 45 days. And then, um, you from the, uh, you know, comfort of your own uh, phone can go through that ballot and, and fill it out, um, online. And depending again on the state, uh, re- either return it through a web portal, via email, uh, print it out and mail it back. Um, and depending on, You know, which medium you've gone through allows for different types of tracking. Um, But the vision for us is certainly one where, uh, you know, think of like an Amazon package. Uh, You can see at every single step of the process what is happening. uh, If something has gone wrong, Hmm. Uh, remediation steps, if something has gone wrong, uh, ability to, um, like I mentioned, verify that everything is working as it should.
0: And so, given the challenges that the state-by-state state voting systems pose to, you know, somebody like your team, somebody like yourself, who is looking to implement a solution, are you focused on growing Votum in a certain geography, or, or what's your roadmap for implementation?
1: Yeah, uh, we are focused on the U.S. at the moment. Uh, obviously, we're based here in the U.S. Uh, our customers span U.S. Um, you know, jurisdictions, state of Montana, Washington, D.C., the city of Detroit, L.A. County. Um, but we also have a slew of different private election customers, so think, you know, uh, professional associations, organizations, labor unions, award ceremonies, student groups, um, those types of bodies. Um, but how if you kind of take a step back and look at the international space, um, it kind of paints a different picture. So online voting, which, again, I, I say in air quotes, uh, which is legal in about 34 states, um, <clears throat> is a pretty le- uh, limited deployment of, of this kind of technology. Um, internationally, though, there are more than 30 countries to varying degrees of scale and implementation that have taken a relatively uh, technologically progressive approach to modernizing their uh, election infrastructure by trialing and deploying online voting and other election technologies, um, you know, online voting actually dates as far back to 2004, where it was first used um, for a national statutory election in Estonia. And since then, a lot of international work has been done with biometric voter registration, hmm. secure digital identities and identity management, blockchain-based systems, and other technologies that could help improve electoral integrity going forward. So you know we're currently focused here on the US um there's a lot of opportunity for us i think to to better our current you know election infrastructure right um here but you know the opportunity is is clearly you know greater than that
0: absolutely so that's kind of what, what i'd like to hear about next is you know with any effort there's uh an, a certain amount of wind in your face but also wind in your back so what's supporting you uh in improving voting systems and also what are the barriers to changing our current voting infrastructure
1: yeah both of those uh, are actually pretty extensive um i think a lot of what has come um, in the aftermath of this last election um you know with legitimate fears of foreign state in, uh, involvement is, is a double-edged sword where you have Um, a persistent reminder that our electoral systems are currently vulnerable. Um, but also this kind of, uh, real fear and aversion to trying anything new. Um, so it's, it's, it's a tricky, um, it's a tricky, you know, line we're trying to walk between those, between those two very real and understandable um, perceptions that, you know, our society has right now. Um, but on the, on the supporting side, um, you know, there's a lot of jurisdictions that are less focused on paying down this technological debt that we've acquired in our uh, systems, and are are actually kind of trying to reimagine what the system could look like going forward. Um, and I, I'd highlight the work that we're starting to do with LA County. Um, you know, so LA has been working on this initiative called the Voting Solutions for All People. Uh, they call it the VSAP project. Um, And the idea was to replace the county's aging voting systems that kind of lack the technical and functional elasticity necessary to continue to accommodate a growing and increasingly diverse electorate um, to a new system that would make it easier for voters with accessibility considerations or voters with limited English proficiency uh, to cast the ballot and would feature a a totally independent open source developed tally system that's actually by the county. you know, so the piece that we're specifically working on is, is called the inter- interactive sample ballot, which would allow for voters to mark their choices on their device or their computer um, anywhere, anytime from, you know, their home. Uh, and they could then create a digital representation of that ballot, uh, for example, in the form of a QR code that a person could then have actually scanned physically at a voting center, which would pre-populate a paper ballot um, that a voter could choose to either just submit at that point or review and change something and submit uh, so the project is really kind of cool, and I think it's uh, an effort worth highlighting of you know, what people are trying to do to better uh, the system and support the work we're doing, uh, because it gets people comfortable with the introduction of technology into the process.
0: Right, it's um, a bridge from the current system that we're familiar with to the system that we need for more accessibility, transparency, verifiability. brilliant. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Um, and then, you know, on the flip side, uh, we could probably talk a, uh, a whole another podcast about this, but, what I think is pretty interesting is that, uh, even if you talk to our most doubtful skeptics, um, so, you know, these are credential academics, uh, you know, real election systems experts, um, you'll find that there's actually a consensus that it's a matter of when, and not if we realize digital democracy. Right, So we're in a world today where mobile transactions are long past the point of ubiquity and global adoption. Right. We have more than five billion people who are using mobile phones uh, to increasingly do their banking, payments, shopping, taxes, communication, and frankly, their whole life online. So it's truly hard to envision the future of democracy where elections remain void uh, technology and modern design practices. Um, so if you kind of take that Uh, and agree that at some point in the future we will realize this, we will have online voting. It then becomes a question of what are the challenges that need to be overcome for us to get there, and today there exists this wide gap between that inevitability and progress made being towards it, and I would argue that the barriers to change um, is is more one of public perception. Um, And I think that most people assume the biggest barrier, um, the biggest thing kind of holding this back is technology Um, but from what I've seen it that's not actually the case Um, so you could in theory have a 1,000 percent hack through system that is forever correct Um, but if people are not convinced of that then doubt persists which chips away at overall confidence right and it's actually very difficult to prove that a system is truly immune to attack you know you can do kind of what we're doing to provide proof that an election is verifiably correct but not the whole state of the system. It's like trying to prove a universal non-existence. It's just very hard to, to do. Um, and so as a barrier in that same vein, in the minds of a lot of skeptics, there exists an omnipotent hacker who is easily capable of undetectable alterations to vote outcomes, which leads to this argument that insists that the existence of any imaginable risk of possible electoral exploitation is just unacceptable in the presence of these hypothetical, you know, uh, super powerful adversaries, um, which is, is, is difficult because in practice this standard to which voting systems are held is not ever applied to any other human affair. Right. Um, you know, if such a system was actually enforced, it would totally invalidate the standing of any currently implemented system. Um, the mere existence of risk does not, you know, preclude our adoption of other technologies that have introduced new risks. Right, we don't outlaw automobiles for the roughly 40,000 annual deaths caused by cars because compromises are made to optimize for, you know, the trade off between the technology's uh, realized human benefit and its potential harm. Um, Right, work is constantly being devoted to lessen the number of automobile deaths. So you have to mitigate the risk to control for the likelihood of any threat actually happening and for the effect that that threat may have. Um, And you also have to remember that these election technologies uh, don't just exist in isolation of process and people and regulation and supporting systems. Um, I think that the barrier often assumes that they do um, and kind of foregoes any consideration for all the support that actually exists to, to catch something if, if stuff goes wrong. Um, so it's really kind of a long-winded way to say that. I think public perception and perspective can be a, kind of a barrier to adoption. In the, in the space right
0: now. No, it's very well said. I love the metaphor um, you, you use there about the risk, technology, cars. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So, you know, I used to work in grassroots organizing and local politics, and voting is one upgrade that our democratic institutions need. But I'm curious as to what other good governance efforts are you interested in or excited about that are being forwarded in the space right now,
1: yeah. Uh, on the technology side, I think there's actually a lot of really exciting work being done on governance, uh, specifically in the world of blockchain. Um, it's somehow become a sexy topic at the moment, which is is pretty funny to me. But it's up there with scalability and decentralization, and you know, all these blockchain frameworks are trying to figure out how you take the will of your network owners, respectively and reflect that into the governance framework itself. Right, so you have Bitcoin, Ethereum, EOS, Tezos, Cosmos, among many others. Um, and in my mind, they're just this really cool set of experiments um, where they're experimenting with tokens and liquid democracy and quadratic elections and on-chain versus off-chain voting. And uh, you know, we don't really know what mechanisms work most effectively yet um, and kind of just working through the trade-offs there, but I think it's a super exciting space to watch Um, you know, and as as people, you know, figure out what actually works.
0: And what about outside the blockchain space? I know there's folks like FairVote who are pushing, uh, ranked choice voting as a good governance measure. What else is out there that we should be privy to?
1: Sure. Um, there's, you know, a lot of nuance to, uh, democratic decision making. And I, I think, um, You know, we have at Votum kind of taken an approach that is, um, you know, one way, but on the other side of things, um, I think a bit more, um, you know, out there, frankly, is this whole concept of of liquid democratic uh, voting, um, which is a a really cool idea. Um, You know, Democracy Earth is working on it. Um, You know, essentially the, the, the idea is that, you know, everyone still has the right to their own vote, Um, but you can actually delegate it to, um, someone who you believe to be more, uh, qualified on a specific topic to, to make that vote on your behalf, who can actually continue to delegate your vote and their own vote to someone else who they believe is more qualified. And at any point in the process, you know, you can, uh, pull back or revoke your vote. Um, and you know, in theory, I I think it's, it's really cool. I know there are a few candidates that are running on that platform. and, uh, you know, the thing that's actually kind of most exciting about it to me is that it's not really even in conflict with what we're doing here at um, uh, you know, cause underneath all of that, you still have to have this concept of end to end verifiability, but, right, um, right. but it, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's cool to see all the work being done on that front and, and just a lot of people, again, I think the, all the experiments being done right now are, are pretty exciting to watch cause a lot of people are trying new things and, and trying to, to make things better, whether that be through. Liquid with democracy or ranked choice voting, um, you know, how do you best express the will of the people that, you know, your government represents?
0: No, I'm right there with you. It's, it's really exciting time to see all the experiments going on. And as somebody who's on the front lines of, of this work, what recommendations do you have to, to others who are efforting to improve governance structures?
1: <laughs> I, I think you need patience. Um, and you need perseverance uh, simultaneously. So, you know, one of the things that uh, we've realized pretty quickly here at Bodem is that, and this will maybe sound silly, but it was actually really hard to create an election startup in the first place, <laughs> because uh, when you're dealing with government institutions, these really large organizations, um, very slow to uh, to move. Of new technologies, um, for really the reason that you know they're they're extraordinarily well intentioned and in trying to do the best that they can, um, and taking on risk means that you know they're they're making it more likely that something will go wrong. Patience and, and perseverance, um, because things will take longer than uh, than than you think. Um, but frankly, as I reflect on our time here at Vodam, it, it's pretty crazy to me how much we've actually been able to accomplish. Um, even though, kind of on a day to day, I it, it can be frustrating with how slow it, it, it seems things are moving. But um, you know, relative to where we were with uh, you know deployments and and actual people trialing. This stuff it, it's pretty exciting to see how the industry is, is progressing um, and you know it goes back to that question of there's this consensus that in the future you know we'll get there um, well is that you know two years is that five years is that ten years and mm-hmm. um, you know I think we're pretty quickly chipping away but it, it, it definitely requires perseverance
0: so because we're speaking in English uh, I'm just going to focus this next question on America um, as an American citizen, we're not asked to do too much when it comes to governmental participation. Once every two years, plus some special elections, we're asked to vote. So I'm interested in hearing uh, what's something, what's one thing that citizens can do to improve government besides voting?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. <clears throat> um, I, I think that. So- Something that is quite topical uh, in today's world would just be to practice responsible share information and to try and be hmm. your own fact checker and, and kind of approach, um, you know, the national rhetoric from a place of humility and, um, you know, trying to actually build the, the right story because <laughs> it's become pretty clear that uh, there's quite a problem of, you know, what is true and what is not true and, you know, what is you know, how, how, what do people trust? Um, and, and they, you know, it goes back to voting. Like I mentioned, you know, trust in institutions is at historic lows. Um, so I, I believe it could be quite beneficial and ameliorating for our society uh, and government's well-being if, if uh, more people practice responsible sharing of information.
0: That's a good one. Jeff, I so appreciate uh, your time and the work you're doing. So before we wrap up, any last words, suggestions, calls to action?
1: Yeah. Um, You know, I would remember that, uh, and this is particularly in light of a lot of articles that have come out recently related to, you know, blockchain as it relates to elections. And, you know, from voting standpoint, we're not claiming that blockchain is a panacea for all of digital democracy's problems. Uh, it's really just a tool that we're using with specific applications that solves a lot of the problems that historically have been difficult to solve. And uh, you know, at the end of the day, we're we're here just trying to make the whole process more accessible and secure for everyone participating. Um, and that there are a lot of solutions out there. You know, votem among them that you know can actually reach a balanced harmony between accessibility and security. It, it's not a binary decision between the two of those. Um, I guess, uh, secondly, I've definitely thrown out a lot of statistics. So uh, I would be more than happy to follow up with the sources of those, uh, in the spirit of practicing what I just said about responsible sharing of information. And, uh, you know, finally, uh, you know, go out and, and vote. Um, you know, like you mentioned, Daniel, it's one of the few things that um, we have the privilege of, of doing here as, as it relates to you know, our interaction with the government. Um, and if you cannot do that, for, you know, whatever reason, reach out to your representative and ask for an alternate and secure accessible medium of participation.
0: Democracy is not a perfect system. And as has been proven time and time again, Democracy seems to be the best tool humans have to increase and improve quality of life for the most amount of people. Our democratic institutions are desperately in need of an upgrade, as what was true 200 years ago is not true today. Organizations like Votem, FairVote, Agora, and many others are leading the charge to help democracy be more democratic. And in this volatile environment we live in, it is vital that the institutions we rely upon become more flexible, more transparent, and more secure to ensure our society can continue to rely on them for the imperative role they play in the day-to-day lives of citizens from Eureka to Estonia to Uganda and beyond. If you want to learn more about Good governance initiatives and how to impact the governance system; these democratic institutions. I encourage you read "Sidewalk Strategies" by Larry Tramutola. Why David Sometimes Wins: Leadership, Organization, and Strategy in the California Farm Worker Movement by Marshall Gans. And finally, Wiki Government: How Technology Can Make Government Better, Democracy Stronger, and Citizens More Powerful by Beth Simone Novak. A big thanks to my sponsor, Jay Lately, for providing the music for Onward. Jay Lately is a hip-hop artist who's been pursuing his dream since the age of 16 while juggling jobs that improve the lives of youth in Oakland. If you like good music and want to support independent artists, please go check out soundcloud.com forward slash just lately. Thank you for taking the time, the interest, and showing your support by tuning in. If you'd be so kind as to share this with your audience, I would be extremely grateful. Keep up the good work, onward and upward.